Welcome to Up Close and Empowered with host Sana Johns. Over the next hour, you'll hear from Sana and her guests on how you can become more empowered through life's most challenging situations. Sana's journey through her own transformation has inspired her to awaken you to your divine power. Hi, everyone. I'm Sana Johns. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you today. Thank you so much for listening on Up Close and Empowered, where my intention is to inspire you to awaken you to your true power, to live a life of love, inner peace, fulfillment, and success. I want to give special thanks before we begin today to those who have reached out to me. And for those who want to reach out, you can reach me at sanalife.com. That's S-O-N-N-A-L-I-F-E.com. So today, we have a special show. We are going to embark on a journey with my next guest that, that begins with, well, her story is, is quite extensive, and we're going to try to condense it in this show, and hopefully it will inspire some of you uh, when you hear some of the resilience and the courage that my next guest really has within her. So today, like I said, we'll embark on this journey that begins with trauma. Uh, it led into an extensive career in marketing and sales and brand strategy spanning three decades. She has worked in the automotive field, entertainment, fashion, nonprofit spaces as an entrepreneur and has been extremely successful in that arena. Now, I've known Jesse for, I'm going to say about nine years, maybe. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> nine years. And we met at a gala. And I remember when I met her, I was immediately drawn to her because really you can't, you can't not be drawn to her. <laughs> she has this, uh, this captivating energy about her. She's beautiful. She's energetic. She's very engaging, which no doubt plays a role in her ability to connect with others and make a positive impact, which she does really everywhere she goes and everything she touches. So she's the one that will get you out on the dance floor if you're not dancing. She's the one that will introduce you to everybody and make sure that you are so welcome. And she's an amazing cook. She's, she'll have you over and, and you know, make this big festive meal for you. And um, she's just a very compassionate person. She really, she really is. Uh, she has a big heart. She's full of love. She's full of energy. And she, today she's going to tell us what her focus is on now because we're gonna, she's going to take us back through her story and through all of the stages and the steps through her life. And then we'll land on where her focus is today. We're going to hear about her obstacles, the challenges, some of her darkest, most difficult times in her life, but how she always seemed to find a way. Today, we're going to talk about her transformational turn. What was the shift and how it's turned to more of a fulfilling and simple way of life and impacting the lives of others, I might add. So not only will she share her journey, but all of her experiences and how they shaped her into her purpose of where she is today. You know, in 2021, she made a life-altering change by returning to school for psychology and diving deep into a career in behavioral mental health. Like, wow. You know, to go back to school at this stage of the game, <laughs> you know, that's mind-boggling. I mean, it really is. I commend you for that. So I know that you made a decision to target your focus beyond the glittery landscape of the galas, the balls, and and all of the, the big life, right? Which, which is great, but we all have a transformative time. 
and we're all led to our purpose. And that's where we are today. And I know that your purpose is devoted to the mental health arena, which you'll have a chance to tell our listeners about that more today. But I just want everybody to know that this is not only at times an unbelievable story when you hear some of the things that she'll share, because she is very vulnerable. At, at, I mean, she shares her vulnerability. She's not afraid to share, which I love about her. But it's very inspiring. But more than anything, it is a true testament of resilience. And I just have to leave with that. But I mean, her resilience is off the chart. So I want to welcome you here today, Jesse. Jesse Elliott, welcome to my show. Wow, Sana, I'm sitting here getting all like tingly on the inside. I mean, I love you and we've been friends a long time and I'm just so honored that you wanted me here today. I'm yeah. just, yeah, and it's it's really good timing because I'm just like, I'm in a plateau of contentment. And I think we talked about happiness before, you know, how people are always talking about, oh, I, what is it going to take to make you happy? What right. makes you happy? And I feel like being happy is one of the hardest things in the world to do. And I'm perfectly good being content because like with bursts of happiness, like little moments in silver boxes, you know, it's a lot of pressure to be happy all the time because believe me, I tried. It doesn't work. So like, uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, and that's a true test of, uh, you know, of, of transformation and progress and personal growth. I mean, to be able to be in that space of being consciously aware of your joy and the peace that you have now come to realize, which, you know, we'll talk about that because I know that you've lived a, a, a busy life at sometimes frantic, or sometimes frantic life as well. And now it seems like you've stepped in, into this other chapter, this other chapter that's completely different than the old chapter. And I'm, I know you have nothing bad to say about your old chapter because it's all part of our life. It's all what shaped us of, of who we are today. So take us back, Jesse. I want everybody to kind of get an idea of, you know, what it was like growing up, where you're from, and just take us through some of that process so we know where it all started. Well, when I was born in South Korea, and nowadays um, we refer to the space by, that my mother was in um, called the Comfort Women. And, you know, Americans have different, I mean, People in general have different terms for it, but you know, the, I mean, I hate to use the word prostitution because it just automatically sends an air of judgment to the situation my mother was in. But there were thousands of women between Korea and Japan that were forced in these comfort camps and they were comfort women. There were young women who were either ran away from home, had hard home lives or whatever. So they would end up in these comfort camps or whatnot and um, be comfort, quote, comfort to the soldiers that would come through, mainly American GIs. And I was born in one of those comfort comfort um, homes to a comfort woman. And my mother, she and my father, um, who I found much later in life. So I didn't really know his side of the story until I was 50. But my mom and I stayed, um, you know, whether we slept on this under the bridge or she had a little money that we could go in a little boarding house because that when she wasn't working, I wasn't allowed, like I was with her. But when she had to leave, she would get dressed up and be in these places where comfort women were to comfort the soldiers. And um, 
I was with her until I was about eight years old and I never went to school. She just, I don't know how, now that I look back on it, because I'm this bougie American now, I look back on it and there was never a time that I was dirty. There was never a time that my hair wasn't combed. Like my mom did everything she could to keep us neat and tidy. Even, and I just had like one little bag of stuff. And um, uh, by the time I was about eight, I had figured out that everybody was going to school but me. And I'm half black. So I look like I'm not 100% Korean. And so the prejudices and the bigotry that came from the ignorance of the people back then, um, it was rough. And my mom always, always, no matter what, she would tell me, you are so clever. My Korean name is Chorling. So in Chor- in, when, in Korean, when you call somebody like in a term of endearment, you add like a ah after the, their name. So my mom would be like, Chorlinga, Chorlinga. Oh, that's how she called me. And she would always say that I was so clever and that I was so ipuda, that means pretty. And she's the only person that ever thought so. She was the only person that ever said so. Because out in the world, in the streets, and I was a scrappy little kid selling gum in the street when I couldn't find my mom or, you know, my mom had a friend who had a child and that little boy and I would steal food and we just well, like little raggedy muffins, but clean. Right. So um, when I was eight, um, I mean, I was hounding her about going to school all the time. And so she said, well, we're going to go on a trip. It was my birthday. And we got on the on the bus and with everything we owned. She had me put on all my clothes, which wasn't much, but I just remembered I had on long underwear and had on put on black tights and then white tights over that and a pair of pants. So it was a scrawny little thing. <laughs> but um we we got on the bus and we went across the country, which Korea, South Korea is not very big. So we it's about the size of Florida. So we're in, it seemed like forever though, no air conditioning. We're in this old rickety bus. And we get to this old military town and I had never been outside of Seoul before. So I'd never seen the mountains the way I saw them that day. And it was at my grandmother's house. It was my mother's mother. And I had never met her. And I tell you, Sana, it's because of those two women. Like we talk about resilience. We talk about courage. It's because of those two women that I have that like burning inside of me forever. And wow. I the very first time I met my grandma, she was a tiny, tiny little thing. But at the same time, she was a giant. And Korean people are not very affectionate. So it wasn't like she gave me a big hug or anything like that. She just kept petting my hair and pinching my face. And yeah, we spent a couple of days there. And it was my birthday, like I said. And my mom said, I'm going to go to the store. And I'll see you in a little bit. And I just was so enthralled with my grandmother sitting on a kitchen stoop, you know, helping her do vegetables and stuff. And she lived in a little bunker in a in the mountain. It was, I mean, the kitchen, if you want to call it that, it was like maybe size of a powder room with a big tub that she cooked there. And then she also would wash me there because we didn't have like a shower or anything. And then we had an outhouse. So I was with my grandma and then my mom just didn't come back. And it's getting darker outside. I'm like, where, where is she? And my grandma's not saying much. And I, I already know better at this time to not question, not to question too much because all the ebbing and flowing my mom and I had to do to survive in Seoul. And I didn't say anything the next day either, but I'm going back to the bus stop like every day for like maybe almost a week, maybe not quite. Um, and every day 
like just thinking she's going to be back. She's going to come back. She's not going to leave me here. I mean, I love it here, but she's not going to go. Right. And my one day my grandma comes down and she sits down next to me and said, Chulinga, she's not coming back. And you're going to live here with me and go to school. I had never disrespected my mom or any adults because Korean children are raised to be extremely respectful of their elders. And I remember kicking and screaming, yelling and screaming until I was, I just couldn't anymore. And my grandma, my little tiny grandma somehow like got me up, patted my face and we walked home and I just lived with her from then until about the age of 11. So when were you, when were you in the orphanage? Cause I know that's a, that's a, what sequence was that? And what age were you? 11, 11 to 12. Okay. okay. So take us there. And then, and then what happened after that? After the orphanage? Well, even the orphanage, like, what was that like? How long were you there? So my mom, I mean, I'm still, I mean, as I got older, I realized, um, cause my mom and my grandma never wanted to give me up because there would be these people coming through the village to, or in Seoul too, picking up mixed blooded kids and saying, Hey, we're going to take them to America. And cause a lot of those kids were thrown away. Their, their families just didn't want to acknowledge them, you know, kind of that street rat mentality. And my mom and grandma were like, no, she's not going anywhere. She's living with us. But my uncle was molesting me and I think my grandma knew it. And they just, one day they're like, okay, you're going to America now. And then so I ended up at the orphanage at 11 and my mom tried to visit me once while I was there. And I was so angry with her. I wouldn't see her. And because by the time I got to the orphanage, it was a Catholic run orphanage um, specifically for Amerasian children. So um, the priest who ran it was also molesting a lot of us. And there's actually a litigation um, they're looking to do with that. It's, if he came from Marino um, Seminary in Boston. So I won't get into that too much, but he was a monster of a human being. But we were all so grateful that, you know, we were called the dust of life. Gum dinghy is a, translates to black puppy to mixed children. Nobody wanted us there. We are, we're stupid, dirty, ugly, you name it. It was, that was us. So we're in this place where we're getting, we're getting fed every day, wearing clean clothes and everybody's there's other people that look like me. I had never seen other kids that look like me. Wow. And um, it was just, it was a mixed bag, really. So, mm-hmm. um, but again, you know, my uncle was molesting me and I, and I knew, even though my brain didn't fully understand sexuality as we do as adults, right? But that was a part of my mom's life. And I just knew that when she, when uncles came, we got to go in and eat in a restaurant. So I always had this mentality that when men come and we use our body or our energy as currency, something good comes. And that's a normal exchange to me at that time. Right. And right. I figured it out since then. But um, the, so the orphanage, it was, you know, it was it was rough. There was there were dark moments, but there, were, it, there was also brilliant moments because I, you know, I saw other kids that looked like me and I made connections. As a matter of fact, some of us are um, connected here in Michigan. We're connected as adults. It's the craziest. And I count that as like one of my greatest blessings in life. So So then skip ahead. When did the adoption take place? Like when did you take us through that process? I came to America January 23rd, 
1982. I was 12. Okay. And ironically, that was the day, January 23rd is my son's birthday and I adopted him. So, I mean, he's, he's, only, he's 20, but isn't that kind of funny? It is. It definitely is. Yeah. So what were you thinking? Like when you were being, when you were coming over to the States, I mean, this must've been like a, a completely different world to you. Like what, what was going on in your head? At I was determined that I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a movie star. Because I I was told those are the people that make the money, and I it was just I, I just had it in my mind that I was going to have my grandma and everybody come here, mm. and just my family. It never occurred to me that like I was going to a brand new family. I kind of thought about it in like a sponsorship way, and I certainly didn't think that they would change my name, <laughs> but they did. It was like a blizzard. They they came to pick me up in Chicago. My adoptive family, my adoptive mother was blonde, um, and my adoptive father was a real tall, dark-haired, bearded, lumberjack kind of guy. And they had two boys that were younger than me. They came to pick me up at O'Hare Airport, and immediately I was like, are you sure I'm supposed to go here? Because I thought I was going to Los Angeles. (laughs) I thought I was going to Palm Trees and Movie Stars. What's going on? Because they came in this big parkas and, you know, moon boots. And I just, like nothing. And we went in and we got in a Subaru in a snowstorm. And it just wasn't anything like how I imagined America to be. Right, right. Let's hold that thought for a minute, Jesse, because we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, I want to skip forward to like the next significant part of that time in your life. If it was in your teens. And then tell us a little bit about your marriage, because a lot of this, you know, for the listeners, all of these things that she's going through, it has led her to her getting into the mental health arena. Arena, it's all going to make sense as we move through the show, and it's it's really a beautiful purpose that she's that she's devoted to now. So we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after the short break. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Did you know you have the power to overcome any obstacles and create the life you desire? Listen for Up Close and Empowered with host Sana Johns. Sana has proven with nearly three decades of experience, it is totally possible to become stronger, more confident, and empowered to live a life of love, fulfillment, and success. It's through Sana's personal transformation that has inspired her to awaken you to your divine power. Up Close and Empowered with Sana Johns, Thursdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. Every story has its flip side, and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. 
When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to Up Close and Empowered with Sana Johns. Have a question for Sana or a guest? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Up Close and Empowered. I'm Sana Johns talking to Jesse Elliott, and she is talking about her story and taking us through the many different chapters of her life that has led her to where she is today. So we left off with the adoption process, you know, coming over from Korea to the States at age 12. And, you know, what were you going through as a 12 year old little girl, didn't know your dad, your mom left and, you know, she had to make a living and provide and she left you with your grandma. And then you, you got adopted, came over to the States. Like what was going through your head? Like, how were you? Well, first, America wasn't nearly as what I thought it was going to be. But really, what was going through my head was survival, because it's always at the forefront. Survive and be what they need me to be so that I can eat. I can stay in this warm house. I mean, I remember I fell off the bed so many times because I had never slept on a bed before. And they had gotten me a little twin bed. It was, I mean, it was adorably done and whatnot, but I just kept falling off. But um, it was really like learning English because I didn't speak it, learning to use the actual toilet because I didn't really use a toilet ever. It was always an outhouse um, and you learn, learning to eat with the fork and right. just, you know, just under, like getting used to American food in general and um, just the whole like the sense of having to me being who I am, who as I came was not good enough. So they changed my name. Um, they, you know, they right away, they took me to a black hair salon back in the day when they used to use lye for your hair. So I would have these big scabs in my head because they insisted on straightening my hair. And um, I didn't even know that was a thing that was possible. So it's just, I'm like, well, this is what I have to do to fit in. This is what I have to be good enough. What I have to do to be good enough for my new parents. And um, the new name thing like really jarred me. It took me forever to get used to it. But I watched a lot of Sesame Street, a lot of McDonald's commercials and eventually picked up English and um, made a couple of friends that who are still very close to me till this day. Hey, Raquel. She and I talk about, I mean, we. she she remembers meeting me at school thinking that I was just shy because I didn't talk much it's because I didn't speak English. But yeah. But- She's still like, we still talk almost every day and like a great, great love, like sister right. love life. But yeah, so um, I made friends and, you know, I just was like, you were like, I mean, when you were introducing me, you're like, she's that girl that's pulling people on the dance floor, the whole nickname of sunshine. And it just, I didn't know I had a chance or choice to be anything else. Like be the sunshine, be the one that people want at a party be the wild child but you know be educated still be classy and um that just was a narrative from the get-go and right. I just thrived in it 
Okay, so take us from there. So then you went to school, you got your, you worked yeah. in the, the business world, marketing. Yes, I went. Take us to the other side of your life where it got to be a little bit more fun and interesting. Yeah, I got, um, I went through school, I went to art school, and then um, I met uh, my first husband who I fell like so in love with because he was so real. He was so um, relentless on his love for me. And he came from this big Irish family and um, we started having kids right away. And like, he was a beautiful dad, but um, the underlying mental health issues that um, he was, you know, but other than the traumas of my childhood, um, understanding mental health is, he's a really big inspiration. He's no longer with us. So he's been almost two years. So we're um, we're at peace. But he was paranoid schizophrenic. Um, he has severe bipolar disorder, and I really thought he was an alcoholic. But um, when he wasn't drinking, we just had we had a couple of beautiful homes, and our kids went everywhere, first class, and everything there was to be had. They had it. The best private schools and the birthday parties. I mean, my goodness, whatever I was lacking in my entire life. I poured into my children. Mm -hmm. And um, as our years went by uh, and his mental illness started to take hold of us um, and, and, I, and I just couldn't handle it. And things started to get, you know, I was, I just, I just couldn't figure out how to keep it all together. So the more I kept buying more stuff, buying more investments, getting, getting bigger bows for the kids, more cars and all, it's just like, it's like a frantic pace of keeping up the keeping up the happiness and keeping up the keeping up the you know the euphoria it's almost a manic area of my life because right. this was a hamster in a wheel how long did that chaos go on for almost 20 years yeah oh. we almost 20 oh, years we, um, we were, yeah we were we were married almost 20 years and we um we had a huge automotive company that um, we got into partnerships with some big, um, big people in the automotive world. We made and lost millions and millions of dollars. And, um, and I think the financial losses really took a hold on him too. And um, yeah, and, and, you know, I don't want to get into his, you know, I mean, we have a memory of the kids and I are recreating good memories of him. But and so I don't, I try not to dwell on the bad stuff, but some of the stuff is important because mental health, as I'm looking at it, is a completely shameless space. There's no place for shame when somebody is dealing with mental health. There's no place for shame when you're telling the truth and when you own yourself, when you're brave and have the courage to tell the truth, which is something I'm recently learning. So the big life, I mean, we belonged to Oakland Hills Country Club. We had a couple of houses. We did a lot of amazing things. And we helped a lot of people too. At one point, we had over 700 employees all over the country. So, you know, I mean, I got really good at people business. Right, right. And you, and this is really what's driving you to do the mental health space, right? I mean, going back to school, getting a psychology degree, behavioral mental health, and then really taking it a step further. So I know that that, you know, this experience with your husband at the time was very difficult, even after you were divorced. I know that it had to have an effect on your children, which obviously affects you as a mother. So this must have been a pretty, would you say this was a monumental time in your life, like 
trauma-wise on, on the scale? Like this is a really difficult time for you. Yeah, it was monumental in that I re- I realized like this could all go away like right like today because I didn't realize how thin of a string that was holding it all together between him and me. And I just still hadn't dealt with the traumas of my earlier life. And I'm trying to raise my children. And it's somewhere in the middle there. I found my birth mom in Korea. I went to see her. And that was before I had children. So when I came back, got married, had children, I started to have all these feelings. And like, I just couldn't process them. I didn't have the wherewithal to process the emotions and the feelings coming through. So then it, and, you know, it comes in just only ways that you have over autonomy over is how you, what you do with your body. So I was, I mean, I just didn't treat myself very well. Right. And in turn, I wasn't always a good mom. It's a hard thing to admit, but it's true. You know, we're all on our own journey and none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect parents. And as long as we're learning along the way, that's really all that matters. That's what my kids tell me. (laughs) They're like, Miss Mom, we see you. We see you, girl. They're so funny. And And they just, they're proud. So, And this is why I have a hard time with judgment. Okay, we'll just take a little break here on my judgment. I'm going to go off on a tangent because I really have a hard time with, with judgment because people don't know what you've been through, what I've been through, what this person's been through, with whoever. It doesn't matter. Everybody has their own stuff, their own trauma, their own things that they have gone through. So, you know, for us to sit and judge when we don't really know what that person has really have to have to endure their whole life or throughout their life, you know, I mean, seriously, and and it doesn't give people a right to act a certain way because of their traumas. I mean, especially when you're learning from the trauma and you're working through your 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 work, you're doing the inner work and you know, because it's a journey, we're not going to heal and we're not going to transform overnight. This is a process and everybody has their own timeline. Yeah, so it's really important. And I think it's beautiful that you're now like turning the corner and really learning more about yourself and your purpose and what's important to you. And I know that, you know, you had a big life for a while, like tell our listeners about what your life was like in that, in that time frame, And then and then take us into like the shift of, you know, quickly, like how you shifted out of it and, you know, got into what you're doing now in the mental health arena. Yeah. I mean, I got married another time and, and that, and that catapulted my life even further because the person I was married to was rather high profile. But even so, um, I mean, I regret some of those, some of my actions then because I just didn't, I just wasn't aware of myself. And I didn't realize that the sky wouldn't fall if I said no to some things just so that I could get myself centered. And um, so, you know, I went two marriages down and last, you know, three years ago or so, I, I found my real dad, my birth father, the year I turned 50. And I have to say that was probably a very, very pivotal, pivotal time in my life, probably the most pivotal time other than having kids and stuff. Because I realized for the first time in my entire life that there was a man who loved me and cared about my well-being and had had demanded no price. Like he didn't demand, I didn't have to do anything but exist. And me existing was an extraordinary thing for him. And that, like, I never forget our phone conversation when he just said, you know, very first time I heard his voice. 
just said, as long as we're both living on this planet, you will never be alone again. And it just flipped the switch in my head. And I just, I, uh, I gradually expected different things from the people who were in my life and people who claimed to love me, you know, and, and I, and I just, and I wasn't, I wasn't clear headed enough to really understand what they required of me, but I knew what I wanted out of whatever relationship I was in, whether it was romantic, sexual, friendship, business, whatever. And I just realized I shouldn't have to stand on my head all the time to keep y'all entertained in order for you to love me. For me to just stand here and exist should be okay. And, right. and you know, and throughout that, I mean, like you said, I had a really big life. And I and it was not like it wasn't big when I was married to Dan either. It was a very big life all the way around country clubs and money and expensive purses and clothes and cars and all of trips and all of that. I mean. I can't remember. I mean, I can't count the times that we were in, having dinner with celebrities or being in situations. And one of the one of my friends used to say, how did two little brown girls get here? You little chai chai and me little black girl. And, you know, and we we used to joke about it. And now I look back on it and then I see how self-deprecating that was. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, what do you mean? How did we get here? Right. How did we come through to get here? Who all did we have to be nice to when we didn't want to be nice to? Well, how many events did we show up? How many people did we listen to? How much money did I spend that I couldn't afford? How much energy and love did I give out that I didn't get back because I thought I had to give that in order to earn a space here? Right. It just. (sighs) So what was the pivotal point, Jesse? What was the pivotal point that kind of led you on this path that you're on now? Um, I got divorced because the marriage, I mean, it just, yeah, it got to a space where I couldn't sustain the life that I was living and and I couldn't keep all the balls up in the air at the same time. I was just, I literally was suicidal. I was just dying. It was just too much. And, um, and once I was out of the marriage and I was back in Michigan and my kids around me. And um, I have a, my number two kid was in school at the time. And somebody just, you know how you get those phone calls and they're like, are you ready to go into school? And, you know, this test. And I popped on and just did it, you know, like just half, half, half hearted. And it just, all of the mental health space came up and it said on the aptitude, you are, you should work in mental health, your courage, your compassion, and your heart and your mind, you mm-hmm. would make an excellent um, mental health professional. And I was like, oh, ding, 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 ding. wow, wow. How about yeah. that for timing, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's, I just decided to do it in, a, in a, one afternoon. I didn't consult anyone. I didn't, I didn't check to see if this was the right school. I didn't check any of that stuff. I'm just like, no, yes, 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 yes. And they gave me a bunch of money to go back. It turns out I'm kind of smart academically. <laughs> they gave me a bunch of money to go back. And the age that I am, I got a lot. I got a bunch of grants too. And right. I just, yeah, I was excited to learn, be in a space where I wanted to learn something new. And my other degrees are in fine arts. So it's totally a different space. And right. it's, it's right. not easy, yeah. but it's very, very fulfilling. And I, I, I also feel like with your personality and your compassion that 
you're going to do incredibly well. I mean, this is the beginning. I mean, don't you feel that way that like, this is just the beginning. And, yeah. and I know you have this passion for mental health and the stigma that is around it. And that's a large part of what you do, because first of all, you've been, you know, you've experienced it, you've, you've lived it with people and you've seen what it does to yourself, your kids, to other people that love that person. I mean, you have so much experience behind you. So what better person to be an advocate for mental health than you? Yeah. Right. I, you know, and thank you. Thank you for saying that everyone. And yeah, I, I come from a space of love and compassion backed by the science of what I'm actually learning. And a lot of the stuff I feel like I knew already, but it'll be nice to have the paperwork to show that, you know, if I'm giving you my insight along with my life experiences, you have to trust that I'm coming from a good place and it's good information and it's worth a listen, you know? Right. Well, I like, what's that? I'm sorry. I'm like you. Yeah. Well, I have to, I have to believe though, Jesse, that your life has changed dramatically. I mean, from what it was, not only when you were a child, but even, you know, like even the last 10 years, last five years, it has changed significantly. And I know when our lives change and we move on, sometimes, you know, we have circles of friends, we have, you know, people that we know that we're affiliated with our, our you know, ex-partners or whatever it may be. And so life is different. It's, it, it's a lot to adapt to. And, you know, I want to know, and we're going to take a break here, but on the, on the other side of the break, I want to see how you've adjusted to this life and, you know, what your thoughts are and what were some of the pivotal moments? What are what were some of the key moments that you remember? And I want to talk a little bit about that and how things have changed for you. Okay, yeah. so we're going to be back right after this break. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, a dynamic radio show celebrating women across all venues of education. Join us as we elevate diverse perspectives and success stories of trailblazing educators, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Discover strategies to overcome challenges and hear amazing stories of strength. Empowering Women in Educational Leadership with Dr. Stephanie Duca. Monthly episodes available on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Stuck in a state of being that holds us back from creating the life we truly desire. Regardless of your own blocks or limitations, imagine an easier way to get unstuck and move forward with your life. On this show, Jason Hopkins shares his practical next right step approach that will move you toward the life you really want. You too can be steps from getting the abundance, love, support, and fulfillment your heart desires. Get unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You have the power to be stronger, live fearlessly, and enjoy the benefits of a great life. Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. 
with two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, a finalist in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and a two-time world bikini champion. She's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Welcome back to Up Close and Empowered with Sana Johns. Have a question for Sana or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Sana Johns, back with Up Close and Empowered with Jesse Elliott. And we are talking about glitter to soul. Oh. Talking about the big life to maybe a turn in a more purposeful direction at this point in the game in your life. Yeah, I you know I think I was thinking it was interesting when you kept when we kept talking about the big life, right? But when I look back on it, this life right now is bigger than anything I've ever lived. I love it. I love it. You're so yeah. right. I love that. It just it's the it just it spans so many different genres of human beings, and I I mean the first thing in the morning I could be you know bringing a breakfast sandwich to the homeless person that lives on the corner, or and then in the evening I'm having you know cocktails with the mayor talking about his next new campaign you know and like joining for his party, and it's just a um. It's such a purpose-driven life. All the other little things that used to, deb- like, they were debilitating to me. Like having somebody not liking my dress and talking about it on the radio. I mean, I was upset about that. for. I think you remember. I was upset about that for like a month. I refused to talk to him. And I was like, how old am I? <laughs> like, I... I mean, not that those things are um, of zero importance because, you know, those those things are hurtful and I have no like ill anything for the life I used to have or people I used to hang around with a lot. I have nothing bad about any of those things. It just no longer is aligned with who I am today. And I realize I don't owe anyone an explanation. I don't owe anyone any version of myself than what I'm comfortable of giving. And, um, and I just feel more, so my day, like I'm busy and my life is big in that, like I said, the genre of people spans such a wide birth, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like I'm in tune with nature in ways that I never was like, I pay attention and I don't have as many distractions. And, you know, I mean, it's my goal to have my farmhouse and be able to do therapy there with my horses and my animals and I want at least five more dogs because I only have two <laughs> and I want a place where my grandkids can come and where all children can come I think I would I may even adopt I don't know if, there, if somebody handed me a baby and said Jesse I would be like yes yes and yes I believe it I, I believe it because you are just full of life you, yeah. you totally are and you have such a big heart so yeah. I believe it well, they give me, they give me just like the whole fortitude and strength and 
gumption and energy in ways that no Birkin is ever going to be able to do for me, to be honest. Right. You know, Just, what, what do you want people to know about you? What do you, what do you think is maybe one of the biggest misconceptions? And if you could say, you know, one thing that's really important for you to let people know about you, what would it be? I want them to know that I'm not as wild as they think I am. <laughs> I'm not the wild child. Maybe I was like for a time here and there, but I also want them to understand that I understand the wreckage I've left behind me in search for my salvation. I get it. And I will regret those for the all of my life. And um, I think how I can make up for those things is living the life in an honest and um, intentional way. And leave the spaces better than I found them when I leave. And if whether it's five minutes with somebody at Starbucks that I just happened to chit-chatting with or a relationship that no longer serves me or that person, I hope that at the end of the day, that my presence in their life, they they remember me with more smiles than tears. Does it make sense? Yes. Yes. So impacting impacting the lives of others in some way, shape, or form. For yeah, sure. I mean, I I'm rec- I I'm very cognizant of the wreckage behind me and what it costs to get here, and I'm just not going to let it go to waste. But you're aware now. You are you are living a more conscious, intentional life now. And again, everybody has their own pace. So, right. yeah, yeah, and it's funny. Like I don't miss anyone, but at the same time, every now and then I'll be like, oh, so and so would have really gotten a kick out of this, or. Geez, right. I know they really loved it when I made this particular dish because I still show my love with food. I'm really good at making bread now. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so I know that I'm healing and I know that I'm healthier than I've ever been because I'm not in the space of revenge or, you know, I'll show them and I'm going to go do this. And I, I don't have any of that. I mean, of course, I get miffed and sometimes my feelings get hurt when I hear certain things. But I, you know, I listen to you, Sana. I block out the noise. White <laughs> noise. We're human. We're human, and we know our value. And we we come to a place of self acceptance for some of the choices that we've made. And none of us are perfect. Not nobody's perfect. It, we really aren't. You know. So yeah, we have to just be at peace with ourselves. That's what it's all about. And it is a journey, and it's a process, and it takes some patience. But it's you know, as you know, it's rewarding. And I know that you've been able to feel that. So I'm really glad for you. What do you, what would you say is your biggest life lesson? That I have the right to exist as I am. And so does everybody else. Like the right to take up space, right to, right to be heard at least once. Like, right. Like purely unadulterated, unsanitized version of myself, like good, the bad, the ugly, the funny, the clever, the charming. The sunshine, you know. I'm not needing the validation. Is does that go along with it? Like not really needing to to just be able to be authentically you and not have to have everybody's input. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I real like I didn't realize how much of it I was doing. You know, Mm -hmm. and I just yeah, it just feels good to be okay in the space. And it's nowadays like I get invited to something if I don't have the time, the energy, the money, whatever, like, I'm not ashamed to say, 
hey, I can't do it this time. I'm sorry. Or I just, it's just, I just don't have the energy for it. Or it's not in my budget. There's no shame in any of those things. Right. And I know boundaries, you've definitely, you've definitely stepped up on the boundaries. So that's really great. So as we're getting near the end of the show, I want our listeners to get an idea of what the exact space that you are getting into. I know that, you know, part of what you're doing, and you can elaborate is the the sexual trauma aspect of psychology and what you're studying, and also just the whole mental health arena. So maybe we have a few minutes left, just touch on that. And what your dream is, what, what do you really want to do to help others, being that you've experienced yeah. a lot of on your own? Well, while I'm in school, I'm really deep in school now, and I work for a ketamine clinic called the Mind Reset. Um, it's a ketamine clinic in Oak Park. We're in an ambulatory surgical center, so there's always a doctor there. This incredibly safe place where the ket- we um, do IV ketamine treatments, and we'll be getting um, spivato in the next month. And it's a it's a cutting edge treatment for mental illness. And you know, when you when a person is depressed and traumatized, PTSD, ADHD, um, like uh, chronic pain, postpartum depression, all of those things that are treatment resistant, um, ketamine has shown that it can be a very, very fast and impactful tool to help them heal. Like people feel something after the first treatment, like significant improvement. So that's the space I'm in because I'm working with people in the mental health space. I'm learning from the very renowned psychiatrist down to the social worker that's working at the psychiatric hospital I was at earlier today. And then sometimes I meet the patients and that when they come out of a treatment saying, I feel like there's hope now. And, you know, thanks for telling me that story about you. I didn't realize that you had that going on in your life. It just like fills my heart so much. Right. And and think about the the change, like think about the 180 that has taken place here. I mean, seriously, you're the way your life was and now how you dedicated yourself to learning and growing and helping people in the mental health space. I mean, yeah. that's, it's huge. It really is. Like it's a, it's a really great story. It really yeah. is. I think it's, I mean, it's, I think it gives people like that can be done. Like if she went from that to that to this, maybe I can get through this this little stretch I got going on. Not minimizing anybody's life right now, but like maybe, you know, or maybe they can say she's been through all of that. She'll understand what I'm doing and why I made the decision I did or why I'm in this space I'm in. Maybe she'll have some ideas and whatnot. So, yeah, it's my dream to be a safe space and be able to have a tangible impact. I mean, how many times have we gone to a gala where we were concerned with more more about what we were wearing and who we're sitting with and what band what band they got to come from, what you know, top forty charts than why we were there? You know, yeah, you you are just gonna make a fabulous spokesperson for the mental health arena. I I really see it. I really do. I really do. I hope so. Where, where can people? find out more about this therapy and if they wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way to get in touch with you? So we have a website. It's mindresetwellness.com. 
And then under that same name, we have Instagram, we have TikTok and Facebook. And of course, my personal Facebook is The Hummingbird Lion, because my kids nicknamed that nicknamed me that because the hummingbird is super tiny and moves about and does amazing things and takes care of everything. And then the lion, of course, because, you know, I'm like, I'm a Leo, <laughs> big personality. So the hummingbird lion is my social social media handle and the mind reset, the ketamine clinic. Um, you just we're in Oak Park, Michigan. You can just look us up. And um, I'm usually the one answering the phone. Okay. And then, uh, so they can get a hold of you that way if they have any, you know, they have any questions. And then also, and we only have maybe two minutes left, but just quickly, I know that you mentioned that one of your focuses is also going to be on sexual trauma and how it oh. influences the lives of people that have experienced that. So maybe put that out there so that if people want to reach out to you, um, they yeah. can in direction. Yeah, I am convinced that sexual trauma is the base of many, many um, wrongs in a person's life and the decisions that that make that they make that impact the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And I I am studying it. I want to expand the talking on it. I want to learn. I'm as I'm learning. I want to share, and I want to take the shame out of the whole infrastructure surrounding sexual trauma and human sexuality in general. Um, it's a very, very core part of us as human beings. And I don't think it gets enough of attention. So, yeah. And, you know, you can always call me and we can talk more about it too. (laughs) Well, it has been so nice and just so pleasant uh, talking to you today. And I, I just love your story because it's, you know, it's so diverse, right? I mean, from where you started where it took you, and then now where you are, it's completely changed. And, you know, I I can, you know me, I can put myself in your shoes and know exactly like how these changes are. And it's it's a big change. And, you know, for you to go back to school at this point in your life is, is huge. I mean, it just, it's a true test to like your strong will, because that's one thing you definitely have about you. You, you do not give up. You know, <laughs> somebody that just says I'm giving up. It just doesn't even exist. You I have- owe it to everyone. I owe it to everyone that's ever believed in anything I was doing. I owe it to everyone who's ever loved me, even for a day that yes. can't give up. And my kids more than everyone. But I want to leave mine resets phone number. It's 248-890-6377. Okay. Say it again. 248-890-6377. Talk about ketamine therapy with me. Okay. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Join me next week as I will be speaking with Claudia Wyatt. And she is known as the Enthusiast Igniter. And she's really uh, a great guest to have on the show for 2024. We're going to be talking about new intentions and goals. And uh, you will be energized from this show for sure. So I will see you all, or I will hear, well, I'll see you. I'll see you now. I'll see you all next week. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Up Close and Empowered with Sana Johns. We hope that after listening today, it's inspired you to discover and cultivate your true inner power and consciously create your life. Tune in next week for another impactful episode.